Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, episode 263. Will McIntosh, author of Soft Apocalypse, Hitchers, Love Minus 80, and most recently, Defenders. Hey folks, I'm your host, Timothy C. Ward. Before we get into the interview with Will, a couple of announcements I want to make. Uh, First is, I published a novelette called Scavenger. It is set in Hugh Howey's Sand universe, written and sold with his permission, of course. Scavenger is about a sand diver who is grieving the loss of his son and is given an opportunity to move on, but possibly in the wrong direction. The job he is offered could harden his heart enough to forget about his son, but it would also mean the final break between him and his estranged wife. This story was personal for me, um, because I just had my first child. Scavenger gave me an emotional experience in writing that almost documents how I've grown as a human being since Kai was born, the new feelings I have as a father and a husband. As a husband, I am not perfect. Uh, We're going to be celebrating our five-year anniversary here in July, and uh, while we are doing fine, uh, you know, husband and wife... Uh, don't always have a perfect relationship. And uh, having a child, I've seen how sometimes the conflicts that you have as parents can turn each other against one another. Coming from a broken home, my two biggest goals are being a great husband and father. But I also understand the temptation to push people away. I'm an introvert, and sometimes I form walls that exclude even those I love. Sometimes, I wonder if a worst-case scenario is forming walls so thick they become permanent. And in spite of my desire to have a joyful relationship with wife and child, I fail. Scavenger is the story of someone on the verge of failure in that way. It's currently available on Kindle and Scribd. Uh, If you come to our website, um, any of the posts that I publish will have links to that. Appreciate your support for that. It is a standalone novelette, um, but if things go well, you know, I can write more stories in that universe if you want me to continue. Uh, The edits on my novel are going well. I've got about 10 chapters left, and uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. Okay, enough about me. Appreciate that moment there. Um, Let's see. Didn't have a show last week uh, as the newsletter subscribers know I just needed a break. Um, This podcasting thing is taking a lot of time, and uh, I just needed to be with my family a little bit more. And I'm, you know, going to try and work on that going forward. Um, Moses is uh, back in the saddle, or however you'd want to call that, and he's going to be getting us some more interviews, so that'll help uh, take some time off my hands. Speaking of Moses, he has a video from Phoenix Comic Con, and uh, it's on our website. It is a magic panel with Sam Sykes, uh, Jim Butcher, Patrick Rothfuss, um, Jay Wells, Mike Cole, Stephen Blackmore. Um, So go check out. I know it's just a video, um, but it's pretty cool. We'll work on getting that into the podcast feed shortly. And lastly... um, we got a giveaway going for this episode. Orbit Books is giving us one copy of Defenders, Will McIntosh's latest novel, uh, which is excellent. 
It's a alien invasion with a twist, he calls it. Um, so to enter to win, sign up for our newsletter. Uh, there's a link in the show notes for that. Um, the newsletter is just something I send out once a week that has um, some of our posts. You know, sometimes you might miss some of our reviews and so on and so forth. So it's one way to keep people in the loop. And uh, as a reward, we have giveaways. The deadline to enter will be a week from today, um, Monday at midnight Central Time. Oh, and I just checked out uh, Hitchers by Will McIntosh. It's a pretty good deal right now on Kindle. I think it was it's less than four dollars. So if you're looking for um, a cheaper ebook and you haven't read that one by him, go check it out. But really, any in his catalog are worth buying. Okay, folks, enjoy the show. Thank you for listening to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. I'm your host, Timothy C. Ward. I am so excited. Today we have Sarah Chorn. Say hi, Sarah. Hi. <laughs> and Hugo Award-winning author Will McIntosh. Hi. Very awesome. I um, Let's see. Before we get into Sarah's uh, fangirl moment, I think I'm having one of my own. Uh, <laughs> Let's see. So Will is the author of Soft Apocalypse, Hitchers, Love Minus 80, and recently released in May through Orbit Books, Defenders. Um, do you have a quick pitch for Defenders, Will? It is uh, an alien invasion novel with a twist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very good. Um, I thought I wanted to get that out there at the beginning about Defenders because I would like to kind of go into a little bit of your backstory, get some context for you as an author. Um, mm -hmm. uh, before we get to that, Sarah, what would your introduction be of Will McIntosh? <laughs> okay. Um, Will was my very first experience with, I guess, the, what people call social sci-fi. And I'm not kidding you, Love Minus 80 rocked my world. I still can't stop thinking about it. It was the best book I have read in a very long time. And then Defenders, right after that, it, oh my god, dude, you just have talent. So there, there you go. There's my fangirl moment, and that's my introduction of Will McIntosh. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so, Will, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your journey as a writer. Um, I was looking at your biography and uh, 2003 is the first short story sale that I see. I'm wondering if you could kind of summarize what it was like for you being an author uh, from you know that point of selling in 2003 to where you could uh, quit your full-time job and write for full-time. Yeah yeah I mean I, I started writing on a lark really. I had a I had a cool science fiction dream and and I was a university professor, and it was just, wow, that was a, I could write that as a story. So I, it never really occurred to me to to try being a writer. Um, and at first, I had no success. I mean, I guess nobody, how many people do it first? Um, and, yeah, finally got that sale in, in 2003, and I went to Clarion right around that time, Um and just kept writing short stories. I really didn't even attempt a novel for a long time. Um, 
because it was just for fun. It really was just a hobby. I'd come home at night, and at the time I was single, I had no kids, and I would, you know, I'd write until two in the morning. Um, and then I started trying to write a novel, Soft Apocalypse, and right around the same time, uh, my story, Bridesicle, got nominated for um, the Nebula and the Hugo. And that's really when things got serious and, and turned around. And when I won the Hugo, and then soon after, um, uh, Nightshade um, bought Soft Apocalypse, then it started getting to be more than a hobby. And the decision to write full-time, it, it's really an odd thing because it wasn't so much I want to quit my tenure job, walk away from it, and write full-time. We wanted to get out of where we were living, which was rural South Georgia. And, you know, we we'd had twins, um, and we really just weren't comfortable there, thinking of spending our lives there and raising our kids there. And so this was part of a, a plan, um, and it was a quality of life decision. It was, we'd like to move. My wife's also a university professor. She got an offer at William & Mary, and we said, well, we could do this. I, I wasn't going to be able to get another university professor job, and I didn't want one. I really wanted to write full-time. And so it all kind of fit together. It's like we we want to go to this new place. We love the idea of Williamsburg. Um, my wife wanted to teach at William & Mary. I wanted to write. Um, and so we took the leap, and we have not regretted it. What's some of the hardest um, parts of making that transition to a full-time writer? Mm, um, financial. <laughs> you know, to, to walk away from tenure. I'd been a university professor for 22 years. Um, and to hand in a resignation letter and to say, I am, you know, quitting this job, which I, I could have for life. I have two small children. Um, and to go from one of the most certain careers in terms of knowing that you're going to have a paycheck to one of the least certain where, mm-hmm. you know, you, from book to book, you really have no idea if you're going to have, you know, you're going to get another contract. So that was it. It was really the the fear of, am I, am I going to, you know, and it's not that the fear has gone away. You know, that's, that's still there with, you know, with every, as, as your last book goes out and then you're saying, okay, am I going to sell the next one? Um, so that's the hardest transition. Actually, writing hasn't been hard at all. I, I've always been, I love the process of writing. I know some writers say they love having written, but it's hard for them to, you know, to get their butts in the seat. That's never, that's never been a problem for me. I, I write all day happily, and I've been doing it now for two years. And every day, every weekday, you know, nine o'clock in the morning, I sit down and I'm excited. I'm ready to go. What are some of the surprises that have come along with your evolving career path? What are some aspects of being a writer that have just kind of shocked you? Honestly, the the biggest shock has been that I've had some success. <laughs> I, really, I mean, I just you know was like, hey, I think I'll write some short stories. This will be fun to do in my spare time. And wouldn't it be neat if one of them sold? 
and each time something happened. I mean, when I sold my first story, when I sold my first story at, at, a, at a pro um, magazine, and then my first Asimovs, and then the nominations. You know, each time it was like, "You're kidding me." I mean, <laughs> I know that sounds like you know I have no confidence in myself, but I guess it just never, it never occurred to me that I would be any good at this. I I don't know why it never occurred to me, but it's just like, you know, so that's really been a surprise all along the way. And I think because it's been a surprise, I haven't dealt with much disappointment. You know, I just, all along the way, it's been, you know, well, I've gone this far and probably this is, you know, as, as well as I'm going to do. And so each thing that happens, it's like, oh my goodness. So that, honestly, that's, that's been the biggest surprise. When I saw that Defenders was optioned for a movie by Warner Brothers, that had to be kind of surprising. <laughs> oh my goodness. That was, <laughs> yeah, that was a shy, yeah, really. I mean, you know, it was, at the, at the beginning, it was just a short story. And my, my agent hadn't even read it until it was at light speed. And, you know, then he said, hey, you know, I'm going to send this to my friend who's a film agent. And, you know, he was like, yeah, I, I really like this. And I thought, really? For a movie? You know, <laughs> and then it, it started to, to, you know, move along. And then Warner Brothers was looking at the short story and said, we're interested, but we're not going to go near it until there's a novel attached to it. You know, so then I... And then I wrote the novel and then, you know, got the call from my film agent, Michael Previtt, saying, you know, they're, they've made an offer. They want to option it. And yeah, that was, I, I kind of shrieked into the phone. I think I, <laughs> <laughs> I think I kind of startled them. You know, cause, yeah, you know, and I, I don't know yet whether, you know, nobody knows yet whether it's actually going to be produced, but, um, the um, the screenplay. What I'm hearing is the screenplay is is really strong. It's it's being written by um, a screenwriter named Will Simmons, um, who's kind of a you know a young gun who's who's really you know done some some neat things. And uh, so we'll you know we'll hear in the months ahead. Well, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled. I mean, I, you know, it's. It's, it's like a you know a dream, just thinking that my book could could be a Warner Brothers movie. I, I can't even imagine. <laughs> so, do you know what actors you'd want to play what roles, or have you not thought yeah, that you know, far ahead? <laughs> I just did. Um, um, Tor just asked me, um, invited me to do um, their pop quiz, and one of the things was you know cast cast one of your books, and so I kind of played around with it. Um, and, you know, God, I'm trying to think of even who, who I put in there. The the one I remember, I don't even know how to pronounce her last name, Anna Pequin, Pequin, whatever. um, I think, I I don't know. know. (laughs) Yeah, I looked at her and I thought, you know, yeah, she could be Lila. She could, you know, just looking at, at some of her previous roles. Um, but yeah, I haven't done a lot of a lot of playing around with it in terms of, you know, who would play what. I don't know if you, if you have any ideas. I'm really bad at that kind of thing. I was yeah. just wondering if you did. <laughs> uh, 
yeah. Well, I love the fact that one of the main characters is Kai. That's uh, my baby's name, my baby boy. Oh. So when I when I was reading it, I mean, it's just instant falling in love with the character. Besides from <laughs> uh, you know the excellent writing and all that. Oh, that's a, that's a great coincidence. <laughs> uh, so, and as I was reading in the in the afterward in your acknowledgments, your father is a brigadier general. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Um, so incredibly jealous that you have that kind of uh, connection for research on this <laughs> on this uh, you know worldwide war type of novel. Uh, I'm curious, what are some of the best pieces of advice that he gave you on military strategy? All, all of it was, <laughs> was his. I mean, all of it was his. It was, you know, I'd written the short story, and you can just kind of wave your hands, you know, in a short story about, you know, oh, here, here come the planes, you know, and that's really all you need. Um, so when I agreed to write the novel and I started mapping it out, I don't know anything about military strategy. I, I know, you know, even though my dad's a brigadier general, it's not something we ever talked about. Um, so, you know, I called him and I said, I, you know, I need, I, I need help with this. So what I would do is I would tell him, okay, the enemy can read your mind, you know, and he's pausing, you know, okay, you know, here's the situation. So all of the military strategy was, was his. I didn't know, that, you know, what would they attack? What, you know, if you're in a war, what are you, what are you doing? Just running and looking for the enemy and shooting them? You know, that's always <laughs> been my idea of what, what a war is. So he laid out everything about you're looking for um, power, you know, you're looking to take out their, their power, their infrastructure, and you're trying to disrupt their, their supply lines because if they can't get, um, you know, food for their troops and, you know, replenishing ammunition and replenishing troops, then they're dead. They might as well just, um, just surrender. It's like, Oh, okay. So, you know, power plants, uh, you know, so really was, I learned a great deal about, about how war is waged in those few months talking to him. So did he help you create the defenders themselves too, or was that all you? That was me, because that was the short story. Um, And, yeah, so I I just kind of, you know, what what would they look like? What would be kind of scary and and cool? Um, Yeah, so he he didn't know. I told him about the Defenders and described them, and then he told me about, you know, we already have airplanes that are big enough that could carry the Defenders. You know, this is how they work, and... You could parachute in their tanks and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's like, oh, okay. I, I didn't know. Um, yeah, so he just used them once once I created them. So did you have to do much research to create them, or is that just, are you that smart? <laughs> you can just create something like that. <laughs> if you read, I mean, if, if you read, if you read it, you see that, I dance around a lot of the science and uh, honestly it's, it's because, you know, like you said, I really am more of a social sociological writer. I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a psychologist by trade and so I'm interested in 
characters and reactions and such. So, like, if you look at the Defenders, it's basically, you know, so they use genetic engineering to create these, and I never really say how or, you know, how it's done so quickly or that sort of stuff. Um, so I do, and once in a while, a real hard science fiction reader on Amazon or somewhere like that will call me on it and say, you know, you never even explained how the Defenders are made. And it's like, yeah, I know, I'm just not that interested in how they were made. I just, you know, I just want to say, okay, we made these Defenders and, you know, here's what happened. <laughs> I, I'm fine with that. I thought yeah, def- me too. Defenders, <laughs> Defenders read very quickly, so I was, I enjoyed that. The book Defenders deals a lot with war, and I'm curious if there are any, like, current events or anything that's happened in history that has kind of inspired the events that take place in your novel. Um, yes. I wouldn't say specifics, um... Because, of course, you know, the war in Defenders is just so so far out and so global. Um, yes, in the sense that I think what I wanted to convey was, you know, you have these, these three different sides in this war, you know, which, of course, we've, we've seen, you know, many times in the past. Um, and just the idea that if you if you step into the shoes of each one often from their perspective what they do makes sense and they're not they aren't necessarily the bad guys because you know when i see wars fought you know if your country is is in the war there is this unquestionable you are the good guys the other side is the bad guys they are evil they are horrible and there have been cases, obviously, in the past where there are bad guys, where, you know, there is there is one clear evil. But I think so often wars are more about countries that feel like they have no choice. And when you step in each country's shoes and you look, it's like, oh, we have no choice. We are the good guys. And that's really what I wanted to do, was try to create this three-sided conflict where with each of them you say, well, you know, the defenders were made this way. How can you blame them for, you know, for, for having that nature if that's the way they were designed? You know, the humans, it's like, well, they're being attacked. They're being wiped out. They have to defend themselves. And, you know, the light and saying they knew they weren't going to be welcome. They knew that this was going to end up being a war if they were going to survive. And so, yeah, they attacked first. So that's really what I was what I was trying to do. Describe real quick the Lighten for our audience. The Lighten are the way I describe them in the book is big. They look like big starfish. They have typically six or seven appendages and uh, a few eyes, five or six eyes, um, and they can read human minds and that's really where their advantage their overwhelming advantage was when you mentioned that a war is like each country feeling like they have no choice was there a parallel between that and the characters that you chose 
in terms of the characters having a choice. I hadn't. I'm usually not that thoughtful when I'm writing. I'm just, you know, hey, that would be cool. You know, let me, this would be an interesting character. But, yeah, I see what you're saying in the sense that the characters are pulled into this. Um, maybe not Lila as much. In some ways she chose, well, yeah, I mean, in some, in, in a little bit more she chose. But, um, but Kai and Oliver really were, were pulled into this and you know they they were not military people they were not soldiers they were people who were feeling a little lost and a little disoriented finding themselves in the situations they were in yeah absolutely one of the interesting things about your novel is the fact that you took the two alien races or you know the defenders and the others and and you humanize them by giving them culture and the defenders, they had a philosophy type thing, the whole debate over the third leg and they had art and TV <laughs> and all this stuff. And, um, and, and then the other, the, the lightens, they talk to each other and, and then the humans were, their culture was kind of taken away. So you, kind of evened the playing field between all of them in a very clever way. And, and I, I'm just kind of wondering what kind of thought went into that. How, what, what kind of drove you to do what you did with culture? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I always think, you know, as, as I'm reading a book, the more um, world building there is, you know, the, the, the more real it feels and the more enjoyable it is. So, you know, as much as I can, if I can make, you know, an alien species or genetically engineered species seem real, you know, that they've, that there's something behind them, that that's going to make up for a better read. Um, and the humans losing their culture, yeah, that, that was almost because I was creating a situation where the human race was almost wiped out. And so, you know, it felt like, well, they, they can't have much, you know, they can't have TV. They can't really have entertainment there. I guess it's the way I imagined we would be if we were ground down to the point that we were almost wiped out. And, you know, from my understanding of human nature, when, when you're in danger of losing your life or you know, all of your people are in danger of being wiped out, you really kind of fall back to focusing on those basics. I mean, there's a psychologist, Abraham Maslow, who talks about the hierarchy of needs. And if your lower needs aren't met, you're not concerned about the higher needs. So if you're worried about survival, you're not thinking about your self-esteem. You're not thinking about entertainment and aesthetics. You're just thinking about staying alive. And so I think that's why they got cut down to the point where they're really not talking about much besides where are we going to get food? How are we going to, how are we going to beat this, these aliens? One of the interesting things I thought about defenders is it felt like it could have been a long series, um, I could see other authors taking this idea uh, and just expanding it to five or ten books. Um, but 
but you made it into one complete standalone novel. Uh, I'm I'm just wondering what your what your thought was on this style to to wrap the events and all the character stuff into into one book. Yeah, um, it's it's the only way I know how to write. <laughs> Honestly, I mean I know Soft Apocalypse has a slower pace, um, but you know as I'm writing. If I start feeling the least bit bored, and and I don't have a high tolerance for boredom, um, you know, if I'm writing along and, and I'm like, man, the scene, it's it's getting like mucky. It's it's slow. There's not enough happening. It's like, you know, I step back and okay, how can I make something important happen in the scene? How can I make this, you know, this chapter um, move along and be brisk? So it's it's really, you know, maybe at some point I'll try and say, okay, I'm going to write something that's that's a slower pace that unfolds more slowly, um, and I'd be interesting to see if I can do it. But it's honestly, it's not intentional. It's not like I said, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna squeeze a lot into this. I mean, when I when I signed the contract with Orbit. Um, all, you know, it was based on the short story and, and they just said, well, you know, come up with an outline, come up with a treatment for what you want to do. So, you know, they weren't saying, oh, pack a lot into it. It was just kind of my instinct about how, how much I would want to put into a book. Um, yeah, I know some, you know, some authors are, you know, so good at that slower pace and, and having things unfold more slowly, but it's just not the way I write. So do all of your novels start out as short stories and then you turn them into novels or is that just a trend recently? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's of, of the four I've written, three started out as short stories. It wasn't, it wasn't intentional. I think the way that happened was um, the first Soft Apocalypse was really three or four. I'm, trying, I'm losing count now. I think it was four short stories that I wrote in Interzone, um, all set in the same world. And when I had the four short stories, I started thinking, you know, this could be a novel. I've already got four chapters of a novel and it turned out I didn't because they were from different points of view and I needed to change a lot. But so that kind of started that way. You know, I thought, Hey, I'd like to write this as a novel. I'm about ready to write a novel. Um, and then I wrote Hitchers, which was basically, you know, there was no short story involved. And then I started writing another novel and that's when my agent Seth Fishman saw Defenders you know, read the short story, and he said, would you write this as a novel if I can sell it? And my answer was, I will write anything as a novel if you can sell it to, <laughs> you know, Orbit or someone like that. Um, so he brought it to Orbit, and Orbit came back and said, we're interested. Would you also be interested in writing a novel based on Bridesicle? And that had never occurred to me, but 
my answer was, you know, I will write a novel based on anything you want. You know, yes, absolutely. Um, and so I sat down and, you know, took the little bicycle short story and said, you know, okay, how could I turn this into a novel? You know, what, what could I do with it that would, you know, again, I can't, I can't, I'm not very good at stretching, so I need to have a lot in there. Um, so yeah, it really, it wasn't intentional and, you know, from what I just said, two of the four novels that I've written were not my idea. But. <laughs> um, how was the process of writing Defenders different than Love Minus 80? Because they're both very social sci-fi, but they're very different gears, incredibly different in, in context and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and And really, it was... They, I mean, they were. They were. It was a very different experience to write them. Um, but it was. It was like you know, I was given these two stories, and it was like, okay, it was. It was. It's almost like a puzzle, where here's a short story. Can you write a novel out of it? And it's like, oh, okay. Well, let me let me think about this, and you know, so I'm walking around for a few days and just kind of turning it around in my head. And, you know, Love Minus 80 had to, to have that tone and be that sort of a story. If I had tried to turn it into, you know, a, a big action thing with a lot of shooting and, you know, <laughs> aliens or whatever, you know, it wouldn't have worked. It had to be about relationships because the core of it was about relationships, that short story. Um, you know, and then it's, okay, now write a story based on this other short story, Defenders. It's like, well, this has got to be, there's got to be a lot of things blowing up and there's got to be war and there's got, you know. And so, yeah, the experience was was very different for each of the two novels. And in a way, I'm glad. It's, it's nice to get a change of pace because, you know, it takes me uh, about eight months to write a novel. So for eight months you're in that mindset. You're working with those characters. You're talking about love and relationships. If I had to then, like, hand in Love Minus 80 and immediately start another book about love and relationships, I would have cut my throat. (laughs) (laughs) I needed something really different, you know? Okay, now we're going to blow things up and have, you know, giant warriors and things like that. And then, you know, hopefully at some point I can go back and, and write something else that's that's quieter and more about relationships. One of the things about Love Minus 80 that really impressed me was um, all the technology. I mean, there's a lot of things about that novel that impresses me, but (laughs) the technology and how you, you realistically brought a lot of the, I don't know, social networking that we're used to now into uh, the future. I mean, it was like Facebook on steroids and YouTube is all over. And it was fascinating to me. But um, how did you go about creating that? How did you <laughs> how did you go from what we have now and, and then create that? Did you worry about the technology being realistic or... It was just very powerful. It got me to think about a ton of stuff. So Thanks. I'm interested. Oh. You're smart. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it. I think part of it is, you know, I'm. My background is social psychology. I mean, that's, you know, that's what my my degree is in, and what I taught for so many years, and so that that's kind of what I thought about for. That's what I was learning about is, you know, how do these technologies impact us? Um, how is this affecting uh, our interactions with each other? You know, are we happier when we have Facebook and texting and all that than we were when we did? You know, there's, there's so much research on it. And so it, it really was just a question of taking them and saying, all right, where is this going to go? And, and so I... I intended it to be realistic. I mean, whether it was or not, I don't know. But, you know, I, I wanted to to take it and not go too far from where we are. And, you know, when I look and say, okay, where is this going to go? This is honestly where I think it's going to go. I think it is going to be the case where you're going to have people who um, their their life is being viewed by their friends and by other people, and they're going to be doing everything they can to get more and more people to watch them live their lives. Um, I, I, you know, <laughs> I'd be surprised if that if that's not the case, even twenty twenty years from now, that there aren't people who are living like that. There, that everything, just about everything in their life is is being viewed by other people. It was uh, it was incredibly thought provoking. That novel got me to think about a lot of stuff that I hadn't really thought about before. Um, but that's one of the things that I love about your work so much is that you routinely make me stop and look at something completely differently than I looked at it before. And it's because of your use of things like technology and characters and and your obvious, your background with, with social psychology is a huge player in that. But I wonder if when you sit down to write, do you mean to sit down and blow people's minds like that <laughs> and insert a ton of depth in your book? Or is that just how you think? <laughs> oh, thanks. It's, um, honestly, it's like, you know, when I sit down it's like, I just, I want it to be as good as I can make it. I want, you know, I want people to like what I'm doing. And so, you know, that's, I think it's like, I'm, I'm thinking, this is what I would like. You know, I would like it if there, there are a lot of things. I have a friend who, who writes video games and uses the phrase Easter eggs. And an Easter egg is something that's just kind of cool, you know, that you come along and it's like, oh, that was cool. And so, you know, I'm always like, you know, what can I, what can I do? What would be, what would give pleasure to someone who's, who's reading this? And so I'm, I'm just trying to, to put in as many things as, you know, as I think will make the book enjoyable to people. And I have a, a, um, a friend who does a lot of critiquing for me who, um, you know, read an early version of one of my works and said, all right, you know, you're throwing a lot of stuff up on the wall here and seeing what sticks. And some of this stuff isn't sticking for me. And I read that and nodded and said, yeah, that's, that's fair. I, I definitely do, especially in the earlier drafts. 
where it's like, you know, okay, what, what can I put up here that, you know, people will enjoy? Okay, so we have a couple of questions here, Sarah. One is what we can look forward to in the future. Um, but I also would really love to have a couple minutes to discuss spoilers. Uh, and we'll announce that so readers or listeners can stop. Um, but is there anything you can say real quick about uh, anything coming up from you or what you're working on? Um, yeah, uh, I've got uh, a young adult novel that my agent has right now. It's it's based on a, sh- a short story. There we go again. Um, uh, that was published in Asimov. So it's called Midnight Blue. Um, and when I started writing it, I didn't mean for it to be young adult. And then as I got going, I thought, wait a minute, this is this is a young adult novel. Um, my agent has it right now, um, and we are hopeful that um, we'll be able to announce something pretty soon in terms of. Uh, maybe getting a contract for that. Um, and then I have uh, an adult novel that I'm just about finished with. Um, it's it's almost killed me, honestly. Uh, it's, uh, it's called This Broken World, and I needed to have an astrophysicist from William & Mary help me uh, to to figure out what I was doing. It's it's kind of an insane premise where someone wakes up on a chunk of Manhattan that's floating in the middle of sky, and he has no memory, and neither does anyone else who's there. Um, and then he does something stupid and ends up falling off this chunk of Manhattan and parachutes onto another little chunk of the world, and it goes from there. Um <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> and, Sign me up for that one. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. I'm I'm hopeful. It's really. I mean, it, oh, it, at times it was such a mess. It. Oh, I just had to rework and rework because I've got two two threads. I've got a present day thread, and I've got this um, kind of post apocalyptic world with broken up into pieces thread. So. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that uh, that a, a publisher will be interested in it. Awesome. Well, okay, listeners, if you haven't listened to Love Minus 80 or read Love Minus 80, stop now. Go to willmackintosh.net and check out more of his books. Okay, Sarah, fire away if you have any spoiler questions for Will. <laughs> this is all you, dude. I don't do spoilers that well. <laughs> you go for it. <laughs> okay. I am curious what you think about the the safe aspect of the relationship in Love Minus 80 um, versus like the true compatibility aspect. Um, I'm struggling to think of names now, but do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a yeah, struggle. Um, so Rob and Winter, that was the true love. And Veronica and I am blanking on the guy who Lichen? Um. Lichen, yes. Um, And they were the safe relationship. Yeah. Um, I mean, what I wanted to do was explore some different sorts of relationships and not have it be all, you know, romantic love and, you know, I found my soulmate is the only way that, that, people can ever have a happy relationship. Um, 
and you know, so I, I just wanted to try, a, you know, a few different sorts of romantic relationships in there. And you know, what I what I intended to say was, yeah, you know, romantic love is cool, and we love reading about that, but but people have met you know other people who maybe they don't see sparks and you know fireworks and all that and it's not love at first sight and end up having wonderful lifelong relationships with them and and it's like I kind of wanted to put that out there that you know as a as a way that people can fall in love that's that's legitimate and and valuable that's that's excellent. Uh, yeah, that that was powerful. I really appreciated that. Thank you once again, Will. It, it's been awesome to talk to you and to read your books. Thank you. Same here. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you for letting me um, fan girl for forty five minutes. I appreciate oh, it. I really, I've appreciated. It. I've enjoyed talking to you. Oh, thank you. <laughs>